I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, can I help you find something? Librarians specialize in helping you find what you were looking for and sometimes what you didn't know you were looking for. Thank you for joining me as I talk to my guests about all things library, including the books inside them. I'm Julie Chavez, and this is Ask a Librarian. Sarah Lenoski was born in Montreal, Canada. After graduating with an honors degree in English literature from McGill University, she moved to Toronto to work for Harlequin Enterprises. While she never met Fabio, she used her romance publishing experiences to fuel her first novel, Milk Run. In addition to her novels for adults, Sarah is the author of the Whatever After series, the Upside Down Magic series with Lauren Miracle and Emily Jenkins, and her most recent series, Best Wishes. Sarah is also a co-founder of OMG Bookfest, a celebration of books aimed at the early to middle grade reader, ages 7 to 12, that brings together commercial and award-winning authors with underserved local communities for an exciting experience of books, games, and activities. Sarah's books have been translated into 29 languages and optioned to Hollywood. She lives in Los Angeles with her husband and two daughters. Here is my conversation with Sarah. Sarah, thanks so much for being with me today. Hi, thanks so much for taking the time to talk. I'm so thrilled. I'm so excited. I was just telling my kids who are on spring break, but thankfully today is the last day, even though I love and adore them. Yes, for me too. Oh, great. <laughs> Good news, everyone. So I was just telling them that you are the author of the Whatever After series because it was the first chapter book that we read aloud together. That's so sweet. I did not know that. I yeah. love it. Oh, my pleasure. And your Whatever After series, obviously today we're going to talk a little bit more about Best Wishes, but the Whatever After series is one of my favorites, and it's one of my favorites to recommend at the library. It's my my quickest go-to recommendation because it's funny, it's a fast read, the vocabulary is just right for the age that it's set in. Like you did such a great job. So I usually go there and if they say, I've read whatever after Mrs. Chavez, I say, fine, then you can read Upside Down Magic. And also there's a movie to go with it. So that usually <laughs> sells them. And now I'll be able to move them on and say, now you have best wishes. So Amazing. yeah, I will keep them in your wheelhouse. But I think that you have just so many wonderful books out there and I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you. You. Me too. Okay. So tell me if you would, Yes. how did you become a writer? Well, I feel like I've always been a writer. I never wanted to do anything else. I used to make up stories and fracture fairy tales. Uh, My mom would write them out when I was little. I loved the princess and the pea, except I wasn't really a fan of vegetables. So we did the princess and the M&Ms instead. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Amazing. I always wanted to write books. I always would say that's what I was going to do. My mom typed up one of my books, Lizzie for short, it was called, but a girl named Elizabeth, who everyone called Lizzie for short, and sent it to Bantam Books. 
when I was in fourth grade. And that's the story of my first rejection letter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's, you know, the letter said to keep trying, and I did. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so then I, I studied English literature at McGill in Montreal. I'm Canadian. And I knew I wanted to get into writing. And so I interned at different publishing houses. I thought the best way into writing would be to work in a publishing house and get to learn the business and then also get a paycheck, you know, so I could pay the rent. Yes. Those two seem to dovetail quite nicely. <laughs> yes. And so um, after I graduated, I interned at a few places and then got a job in a bookstore while I looked for a full-time job in publishing in Toronto. And I got a job at Harlequin Romances. And uh, yeah, which is a lot of fun. I loved it there. <laughs> I bet. Because you started, your first book was Milk Run, correct? Yeah. Okay. So while I was in the, I was in marketing at Harlequin in Toronto okay. in the office. Ooh, marketing uh, at Harlequin yeah, too. That marketing. sounds fun. It was so much fun. I loved it. And while I was there, they were looking to launch a line of books called Red Dress Inc., which was chiclet novels. It was kind of Bridget Jones, Sex in the City type books. Got it. Uh, that book was really popular. It was back in, uh, I believe it was 1999. <laughs> so, and that feels, yeah, but that feels like the beginning of that real yeah. moment. Like before that, there wasn't really a category like that. Exactly. Okay. It was just starting. I think yeah. it had just been published. You know, Bridget Jones was so popular at the time. Yes. And they were looking to launch a line of books of chiclet called Red Dress Inc. And they were looking for authors specifically because there, a lot of their romance authors were a little bit older than the 20-something writer that they were looking for. I'm got it. An edgier tone. And I remember thinking, okay, this is my chance. I, you know, I knew I wanted to write. I'd gotten jaw, uh, you know, I'd gone into publishing to meet these people and to figure out this world. Yes. I thought, okay, I'm just gonna go and I'm gonna write about my bad dates and figure out what to do. So I would go home at night and on weekends and I would write, I wrote my first book, Milk Run, which was about a woman who had just been broken up with and who worked at a romance publishing house. Perfect. <laughs> I called it Cupid. So it was a little bit different. And I just wrote my first book. And then when I finished it, I remember that people knew I was working on it because they knew I wanted to be a writer, but it was decided that I shouldn't send it to anyone I worked with directly because that would be awkward. Mm, yes, yes. I was marketing different imprints and different lines of books at Harlequin. So I worked okay. at my Silhouette Desire, which is one of their lines of books. And Silhouette I believe with intimate moments and different series. Yes. And so I sent my book to an editor in the UK named Samantha Bell, who I did not actually work with in my day to day job. Yes. So I guess in theory, so if she hated it, she could just say, I hate, you know, not for us and it wouldn't impact the corporation. Right. No hard feelings. Yeah. Yes. And they bought it pretty quickly and they ended up buying it. It was the second book in the Red Dress Inc. series. Wow. So yeah, so that changed my life for sure. <laughs> Amazing. Now, how did you transition then to middle grade timing? Like you, because you wrote four books, right? Or five for adults. I wrote, I think it, I think it was five adults. Okay. But after I'd written three, I believe, I knew I wanted to write younger. I, did, mm-hmm. I, was always, I kind of fell into the chiclet. I'd always loved YA and middle grade and children's okay. books. In fact, the bookstore that I had worked at before and the internships had all been at a children's bookstore and different children's publishing houses. So Harlequin was the only time I had worked in adult fiction at all. And then I knew I wanted to write. And so I sold Milk Run first. And then I was offered a two book contract 
for my next two red dressing books. And I decided I needed an agent to help me negotiate this because it was awkward. I was at the company, you know, I was like, sure, totally. you can all the things. Yeah. I just didn't know that world. Of course. How could you? So I ended up finding an amazing agent named Laura Dale, who is still my agent to this day, over 20 years. We've been wow. together. And once we sold that, I told her from the beginning, I really want to be doing, you know, young children's books. And she didn't do children's books, but she said, okay, you know what? We'll we'll figure it out together. Don't worry. And so I had the idea for Bras and Broomsticks, Mm -hmm. which is about a girl named Rachel who realizes that her younger sister is a witch and that she is not a witch. Okay. There was kind of like magical angst. So I put together a proposal for that and I gave it to Laura. I think I did like the first three chapters on an outline and she, I think she had a meeting with Random House that day, Wendy Loggia at Delacour Press, and she dropped it off. And I think Wendy made an offer on it within a few hours. So it was a preempt from Random House. Yeah. And then we did two books for that. So I was doing both at the same time. I was doing yeah. I was doing the Chicklet books plus the YA. And then I did a bunch of, I mean, I've been doing this for over 20 years now. So I did a bunch of YA books. I wrote some magical younger ones. I ended up transitioning out of adults and focusing on YA. Mm-hmm. And then I had this idea for whatever after. I, I always had that idea. I guess since Princess and the P and the Princess and the m and Right, yes. I wanted to fracture fairy tales. So I, I always knew I wanted to do that. I played with doing it as a YA book and it just didn't work. And then I thought, okay, now is my time. I'm going to try to put this together as a series. And I said, I'm not going to worry about selling it. I'm just going to figure out what this would be, how what it okay. looks like. So I put together that proposal and wrote the first, I, I probably wrote like maybe 50 pages and like saw, you know, what were the first four books in the series, what they would be, what fairy tales would I fracture? Oh, and for those who don't know, whatever after, in whatever after, Abby and her brother Jonah fall into different fairy tales, mess them up, and then have to help the characters find new happy endings. And they're basically... Everyone, it's kind of more like a feminist refractoring of the tale. Okay, they help the characters find more empowered ending. Yes. Yeah. So I sent that to Laura, my agent, and that one it ended up going between Disney and Scholastic. Both wanted it, and we ended up going with Scholastic. And they, we've done I, I want to say eighteen whatever after books so far, possibly more. I'm trying to remember. And then, and we also did Upside of Magic with them which I co-wrote with Emily Jenkins and Laura Miracle, and now Ben Best Wishes with Scholastic as well. So now Scholastic is pretty much my home for all of my books. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that is such an exciting career trajectory. I mean, I'm so happy for you that it's, and I know there are always bumps along the way and things, but yeah, I mean, it sounds like you have really been able to carve out a space for yourself. You know, you found a place to get a foothold and then do what it was that you wanted to do, which is so wonderful. And you're so good at it. Your books are a delight. I love Mm -hmm. them. I actually um, got to interview Vicki Lewis, who was in the Upside Down Magic movie. Yes. Yes. And it was just, we talked about how much we enjoyed the book. I mean, it's just, your writing is, it's just so good. I mean, I really should come up with a better word than that, but (laughs) I just, I enjoy it. It's not overcomplicated or overwrought. And even at that age, you can find that where people have overworked it. I try. Yeah, but no, (laughs) yours is just chef's kiss. Love it. (laughs) Okay, so you now are in this new segment. So basically, with Emily and Lauren with Upside Down Magic, was that your first co-authoring experience? No. Well, okay, because Emily, okay, Emily is also E. Lockhart. 
Oh. Uh, so Emily writes YA as E. Lockhart. And so Emily, Lauren, and I wrote How to Be Bad, which is a YA uh, a collaborative novel. Okay. Which came out, I want to say, in 2009. So it was a while ago. Okay. So that... That was my first one that we worked on together. I'm trying to think. That one actually came about in a funny way because we didn't all know each other. And it was the time of YA. You know, there's tons of YA stuff happening. We all three of us had our separate careers in YA. It was This was maybe, I want to say, 2005. Okay. So YA was really blooming across the country. Mm-hmm. I had started this group on MySpace called Teen Lit. On MySpace. Yes. Oh my gosh, I love it. Just starting. It was. Yes. Okay. Not that it was just starting. It's that novelists had just discovered MySpace. Totally. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, got it. realized, actually, John Green, the author, was the one who told me about MySpace and told me, he said, Sarah, if you search under people's favorite book, if you put in Milk Run, you're going to see all these people. That was my first novel who chose Milk Run as their favorite novel. Oh my gosh. I would be like, no way. And so I did. And then I reached out to those people to friend them. And then I realized that all these teen authors were going on it. So I said, okay, well, what if we start a teen lit group where okay. we could all know each other? Because at that time, teen lit was just really starting. Like the, before mm-hmm. a lot of books in the teen category had been published in adult. Like if you look at Feeling Sorry for Celia and Sloppy First, Megan McCafferty's book, a lot of these books were, you know, about the teen experience, but they were published in adult. You could only find yes. them by adult publishers. And this was like Sister of the Traveling Pants had been coming out finally. Yes. Um, the Cabot's book. So it was the beginning almost of YA, of YA being a successful genre. Obviously there was always YA before. Yes, but I think you're exactly right. Kind of that, us calling it that and then sort yeah. of, yes, yeah, starting to have its moment. I'm thinking yeah. like Eleanor and Park too and some of those books around that Wait, time. I don't remember what year that was. That might've been later. I'll okay. have to, I'll look I it up maybe, later. maybe, but I'm not 100%. I remember like Gossip Girl and, and the Sister oh, yes. of the Cabin and Carolyn yes. Mackler had a bunch of books. So Sarah okay, Death. yes. And there weren't as many also book festivals. We didn't all know each other in real right. life. And so um, on this Teen Lit group, we all started to write each other. We all became friends and we all started talking in this Teen Lit group. And I remember I posted something that said, what would you want to write or what are you reading? And Lauren Miracle, who wrote the TTYL books, and she had like a ton of books on the New York Times bestseller list. Then it was the uh, TTYL books and the her 12, 13, that series as well. Okay. Oh, yes, yes. And so she said that she was reading... Um, I'm trying to remember what it was called. The the book by David Levithan and Rachel Cohen that then became a movie, and I'm blanking on Infinite Playlist. I think. Oh that's yes, yes. And that she'd love to write another book with other people. And Emily Elaka yeah. jumped on and said, "Oh, I would wish I could write another book. You know, a book with other people." And I remember seeing them discuss, and I thought, "There's no way these two are writing a book and becoming friends and making this contract on my teen lit group without involving me." So then I researched them separately and we decided to write a novel together. Yeah, and we wrote the first, we had never met in person. I think maybe Emily and I had met, we met afterwards. Yeah. Um, and then we ended up emailing back and forth and we wrote the first hundred pages and we sold it. And we loved, that was to Harper Teen. And we loved working together so much. And we decided we would, you know, let's try to do something else. And then we all became successful in middle grade. Okay. And then we thought, okay, well, you know, let's try, what if we do the series together? in middle grade. And yeah. that's how the magic ended up coming about. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I feel like the message I'm getting from all of these stories is like, you're at the forefront of every trend. <laughs> this is amazing. Sarah's MySpace teen lit group. I have to be the first, but I am, oh. I have been lucky in my career. 
about being able to be part of the bubbles, I guess. You really are timing it so well. Good job. It has been great. I've been lucky. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. But I love that. I'm getting a piece of this action. You're in my (laughs) teen lit group. Hello. I am the one who asked what you were rating. (laughs) I know. (laughs) That's incredible. So that kind of takes us. So now let's talk about Best Witches, which is your most recent series. And now you're partnering with individual authors. So tell me about then that. You're still writing Whatever After, right? Still writing Whatever After. Okay. The moment Upside Down Magic is on hold, we kind of got to where we wanted to get to and we did eight books. So we eight, yes. put a pause in that. I know I loved writing with other people. To me, I just loved, I'm a very extroverted writer. So for me, sitting by myself, working for hours on end is actually not fun. <laughs> I love working with other people. Yeah. So, and I knew Debbie and Christina very well. And so I had the idea for Best Wishes because I I, I used to tell Annabelle, my, my 10-year-old bedtime story about a girl who, a girl named Annabelle, okay. <laughs> who got a magic package in the mail and went to get it and opened it up. And inside the magic package, there would be either, say, a magical umbrella that would allow her to fly across the United States or a magical pair of shoes that would allow her to be an amazing dancer or something. Mm-hmm. And every night I would change it, the item a little bit, and we would come up with a conflict and what would happen. And then when I was deciding what else I should be writing, Annabelle said to me, what about the magic box stories? So I thought, oh, okay, well, what do I do? How do I do that? And I thought, well, what if instead of one girl getting all these magical elements, it's different kids across the country who get the same magical box and then can make a wish. And and so that's where it kind of came from. And that way, instead, you know, I could write about different kids across the country. And it also would allow me to write with, to co-author books with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the idea was that I would write the first book in the series, which I did, Best Wishes. And it's about a girl in New York City, a Jewish girl in New York City, who has a very bad day after her friend tells her that she doesn't want to be best friends anymore. And then a magic package arrives at her door. And inside the package, there is a magical bracelet with a note that gives her one wish. And so she wishes that everyone wants to be her friend. And then... Of course, you know, chaos ensues, not just not, uh, her ex-best friend wants to be best friends. Yes, but so does everyone in her class, everyone in her school. Her principal wants to be her best friend. <laughs> her mother wants to be her best friend. And chaos <laughs> ensues. And then at the end of the book, she passes it on to another girl. And uh, an address magically appears and the package goes there and it ends up in Columbus, Ohio. And it's addressed to Addie Asante. And book two is Addie Asante's story about what her wish is and what happens. And yes. so book two, I co-wrote with Debbie Rigaud. And then in book three, it goes to Texas. And I'm co-writing book three with Christina Sundarnbat. So Debbie and Christina are two of my very good friends. And so I thought they'd be amazing to co-write with. And they were. I had the best time writing with both of them. Yeah. And in the series, what ends up happening is that Becca writes her whole story down to Addie Asante. Uh, and mm. Addie then, when she gets the package, has Becca's information, her cell phone, her emails. And so they become friends. So even though book one is Becca's story, Becca still appears in book two. And then Becca and Addie appear in book three and become friends with Lucy. So the series is really about like the magic of friendship and connection and collaboration. <laughs> I love it. I love that idea. And, you know, I've uh, read through them and I love what you do so well, I think, is you write books that delight. And they're just, I think you have a real gift for 
thinking like a kid too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> because when you, the way that you plot them and the way, you know, and I want to hear a little bit more about your process with that, but the way that you write them is just so tuned in to what a kid would think or want or do in that <laughs> moment. And I think also the thing that I want everyone to know too, is that, you know, whatever after I have two sons and they love your books. Awesome. So it's so good to see too, because I think sometimes there's, you know, Abby maybe seeming like more of the main characters, but, right. but I just, I love your books. I think, and you do such a good job of the conflicts you create. The solutions are also in that line with the kids. So nothing ever feels too like you're talking down to them. I mean, it's really just written in, in what feels like their voice. So you have a real gift with that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I love reading them for them. I appreciate that. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. <laughs> yeah. And I read some aloud also to our kids at our school during COVID because we would Zoom and we read chapter books every week and whatever after was on the rotation. And some of them got really annoyed when we got done. And they were <laughs> like, um, hello, can you just keep producing, Mrs. Chavez? And I said, no, I cannot. But here's the book. So tell me, how does the co-writing process work best for you? Or do you make it depend on who you're working with? Like, how do you like to do it? I'll explain um, how, it, how I've been doing it now. Okay. Okay. So first of all, when I write on my own, I'm an outliner so that the process for what I write on my own is first I brainstorm. Okay. okay. Come up with all the ideas of what could potentially go. I don't hold myself back. I just write all my ideas down. Then I outline and I usually outline, I, I usually put together a 10 to 20 page outline about what's going to be in the book. And for me, this is the most important part. Okay. Now I do this also because I usually sell my books on proposal, which means on an outline at this yes. point in my career. But also because I wouldn't be able to write, even if I'm not selling based on it, I need to have that structure. I get lost going like down the block driving. I need to have directions for where I'm going. Very important to me. I don't believe in writer's block because I feel like when you outline everything and you know what happens and there's no writer's block because you know what happens next. That so makes outline. sense. Okay. Got it. Um, and then... I mean, okay, so I'll take that back. Obviously, something horrible. And if you're having very intense experience in life, that's different. Yes. Some things happen, like make it difficult to write. Yes. Like everyday stuff, I really strongly believe in outlining. After I outline, yes. I first draft. And I don't edit while I'm writing my first draft. I just break it down into, okay, today I have to write a thousand words or 1500 words or whatever. And I just complete that. I don't look back. I don't edit as I go. I write on my laptop. Um, I just follow the outline 
almost blindly. Like I'm like, I trust in the outline. If something really isn't working, then I'll go back and I'll change it or, you know, I'll adjust. But usually I just keep moving forward. Okay. And is the outline almost, I mean, I've used a scene inventory beforehand. Is it, do you break it down into scenes or is it more flow of what's going to happen? I do more chapter by chapter. Okay. I usually do more chapter by chapter when I'm doing it. Okay. And then, okay, once I do the first draft, then I go back and I revise and I edit and I change all the stuff. And I usually do, you know, five to 10 revisions of the draft off someone read it. Either my editor, if it's a new project, I'll have, you know, some of my writer friends, Emily reads drafts for me, Lauren reads drafts for me, Christina's read drafts for me. So I just ask different people to read different drafts and stuff. Yeah. So that's basically my process on my own. So when I worked with Emily and Lauren for Upside Eye Magic, we actually mostly for most of the books, divided it up by task. So we all brainstormed together and all the ideas. And then I was in charge of the outline. Lauren was in charge of the first draft and Emily did the revision. Oh, wow. So we made in. So I sent the outline. I was like, what do you think of this? And they would send me notes. So it's not like it was, you know, all in isolation, but we each had our responsibilities. And that's how we did that. But when I was working on Best Wishes, and I actually, I think the last, maybe the eighth book, because of COVID was happening when we wrote the eighth book, yeah. ended up, our schedule didn't work out and we did it a little bit differently. And the way that we did it for our last book, and that's the way that I'm working with Christina and Debbie. And what we did instead was do it by time and effort so that we all brainstormed together. And then we each would spend an hour working on the outline. And we did it on a Google Doc. And okay. so I've never lived in the same cities as any of these authors. So this is all done via the internet. Like it's hardly ever in person. Amazing. Emily lived in Brooklyn when I was in New York for a while. Okay. So we occasionally met up, but hardly ever. So, I mean, we met up just not to work. <laughs> of course. Yes. <laughs> I refuse to say. We hang out. <laughs> and then, so it would be an hour of work, each of us. And then it would be a thousand words. Once we were on the first draft, a thousand words each to do the first draft. Okay. Our book was like 21,000 words. We got this done quickly with the three of us. I bet. And there was no editing. So there would only be, the rule was you could only like tell someone, oh, amazing, great work. There was no editing anyone else's work until the draft was done, unless it veered the direction into something new. Then we had to discuss it. Because sometimes as you're writing, that's when you're uncovering stuff. Yeah. And then once that was done, we each did an hour of revisions on a Word doc. So th- we would use Google Doc for the other two, and yep. then we would Word for the revision so you can track the changes and see what the other person. And that's when you just go in and rewrite everything. Yes. And we Lauren and I, because we had worked together for so long, we rewrote each other's sentences. We had no problem. There was no ego involved. And so I had to explain to, when, we, when I started working with Debbie, I said, okay, this is how I think we should do it. Yeah. But you should know, like, don't feel scared to edit me. And I will not. And, and I gave her an example. I actually showed her what Emily and Lauren and I did to our, each other's work so that she would not. I didn't want her to be like, you're afraid to say no to me. I didn't want her to think I was precious about my words because I am not precious about anything I write. And so that was that was how we did that. And then that's what Christina and I did as well. And it worked really fast. Christina couldn't believe how fast we wrote the draft because with the we wrote the draft in two weeks because we were each doing a thousand words a day. Right. That the draft was done. But, you know, when you write 10,000 words in a week, then you have 20,000 in two. It's middle grades are, you know, ours are between like 22 and 25,000 words. So there, it was pretty short. So it was done. Amazing. So I love working with other people, (laughs) basically. That seems like it's got to be such a 
just a good way to get things done. I mean, it sounds like just such a smart process because you really do take the best of everybody's abilities and then just hammer it out. And I I think that's key um, for people who are thinking to collaborate. I think that's the key part. So like when Christine and I were working on time after time, there were certain sections that I felt I could do. No problem. That didn't scare me. As writers, we all have different things that scare us. Yes. Emily, for example, in Upside of Magic, hates writing scenes with multiple people in it. Like she doesn't like the big set pieces with all, you know, there was, I think, a scene where Nori, the main character, turns into a skunk elephant and all kinds of things happen. And Emily does not like writing that. So (laughs) Lauren likes to push the envelope in terms of what the most ridiculous things are going to happen. And I love lots of dialogue and I love, I'm always pushing them. What is the worst thing that could happen to this character? And don't be afraid to make that happen. Mm. So once you know each other's strengths, then you can also say, okay, I'm going to rewrite this scene Christina focused on writing about them in book three. There was the museum stuff, oh. um, which I didn't know about, but she's much more familiar with museums. So she wrote that part. And then we, we and she wrote the parts about Texas and, you know, we would go back and forth, but I would, I would write more of the scenes with like the magic and the world building because it was the series that I had created. So yes. we were able to divide and conquer like that. Man, I am just <laughs> listening to this thinking you are just a machine. Oh, thanks. Are, are you a fast writer? <laughs> you know what? I don't, see myself as particularly fast. Okay. I just, I, I just do a little bit every, I've been doing this for over 20 years. Yeah. So do a little bit every day and it's my full-time job. It has been since I left Harlequin. So this has been my full-time job. So I just write and work because a lot of my work is not writing. It's right. Of course. Podcasting and <laughs> Instagramming. And I did a school visit this morning on Zoom. So, so much of an author's job these days is not just, you know, writing alone. Yes. So I uh, I just work a lot. I, you know, I work, I used to work a lot harder and then, or sorry, a lot longer. Longer. Mm-hmm. I had, I have two children, which obviously reshaped my days into, I, you know, try to work between nine and five. And I, yes. I used to work like late into the night or stayed up all night finishing stuff. And now I can't do that anymore. So I have to no. make sure that I best use my time during the day. Yes. To write and produce. Wow. I am so impressed. I mean, I know you've written it done, but I just love listening to you talk about your process. Like it's so thought through and I can tell you are paying attention to the ways that you can maximize what you have, which it sounds like are a huge network and people that you know and you, it sounds like you enjoy working with people, which is nice because some people, and it's so funny how for a lot of writers, they hate that. Oh yeah. No, a lot of writers don't, but I I feel like I've been in the business a long time. So I've been able to see different things that have happened. And I've also had, I've had a mentor for so long. We joke because he's one of my good friends now, but my, uh, my friend Gordon Corman, I don't know if you. Oh, I love Gordon Corman books. (laughs) Yes. amazing, right? So Gordon, wrote his first book at 13. And he actually went to my elementary school. So he also grew up in Montreal. He went to, I think, uh, just a few years in, uh, I went to a school called JPPS in Montreal. And he went to that as well before he ended up moving to another city. But knowing, I guess, knowing he was always a few years, I loved his books growing up. So I always knew his career. And I ended up meeting him when I moved to New York much later. So I've, I've always been following to see like, okay, what does he do? And how does he stay current? And you know, and I once interviewed him for a speech I did, and it was fascinating to interview him. What he said, and I try to remember always, is you just have to stay in the game. Like if you want to be, I mean, if you want to write one book just to have one book, that's one thing. That's a sure. different. 
That's yeah. completely but if you want to be a career novelist, then you have to just continue to produce and to do different stuff. Mm-hmm. And you have to, some are going to do well, some are not going to do well, but you have to focus on the work and know that trends and everything changes and kind of, you know, either go along with it or stay with what you do and try different things. And that's just what you have to do to stay in the game. Yes, there is a real element. And I feel like I've talked with another guest about this at one point, but just that you got to keep your head down in yeah. some elements of even a writing career and especially a writing career, which is tricky, right? Because we're more exposed. And like you said, there's more expectation for authors with social media and all these other things, but there is still a large piece of it. That's you just got to put your booty in the chair and hammer out those words, (laughs) right? Click, 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 click. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is so great. Do you get a lot of people wanting your advice on how to have a successful career? Most of the advice people ask is actually how to publish the first novel. Oh, okay. More than how to have a lot. I've done a couple of panels. I Those are my favorite because I've done a couple of panels. It was, it was maybe about, it was before COVID. So I would say seven, eight years ago, I was on a panel with Emily and Robin Wasserman and Adele Griffin about how to have a long-term career in children's publishing. And it was fascinating. And we've eat of that group of authors. That was, I think, before Upside Down Magic, even. That Mm. was before Emily's We Were Liars. So our careers, and before Robin now writes for television and Adele also writes for adult stuff. So all careers have continued to change and shift over the, even since then. But yeah, that to me, I love talking about. If anybody wants to talk about that, that to me, because I've been doing it 20 years, so I feel like that's one thing I can't speak of. And I think it's, yes, keep your head down and do the work, but also don't get stuck in something that isn't selling. Like you can't, Mm. you can't, one of the reasons I feel like I've had success over these 20 years is because I did Chiclet and it was, it did well, but I wasn't afraid to say, okay, I want to try Teen Lit as well. And so then when Chicklet stopped being successful and no one was buying yes. it anymore and Red Dressing disappeared, I had another career or mm. other books and another genre that I was publishing in. And this wasn't me writing things I didn't love. This was me taking a chance on other stuff that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a few years ago, I started begging Scholastic to do graphic novels of my books. Yeah. And graphic novels are really, really hot now, right? And I wish we had started a little bit earlier. I feel like I was a little late to that. So usually it's about me wanting not to get too comfortable. I want to continue what I'm doing. Yes. You know, it's great if your stuff that you do continues to sell for years and years. And there's tons of writers who've been able to, you know, write the same thing. Or not the same thing, but in the same genre. Yes, yes. But I've seen bubbles and I've seen them burst. And... I want to continue to be a novelist. So, and, I, and luckily, I, there are so many different things that I love doing. So I think an author has to be flexible and not hold on too tight to one thing or one book. If something isn't working, then try something else. Mm-hmm. That's so smart. And I love what you said about not being precious about yeah, I mean, what you yeah, write. Yeah, you can't be precious. Yeah. yeah, you gotta, yeah, you have to remove yourself because you're right. The career piece of it requires that you're creating product to some extent. I mean, it's still creative and wonderful, but... It has to be seen as, okay, I'm I'm giving what's demanded in the market. Otherwise, you have no idea what's going to do well and what's not. Like some of my YA books that I thought were going to be huge hits were not. Yeah. And then some of them I thought, oh, this is just like a little funny personal book that I'm writing and ended up like 10 things we did and probably shouldn't shouldn't have. I wrote for Harper and it was kind of a realistic, uh, st- realistic YA that I really didn't expect anyone to buy. And it yeah. really, it, I remember the week it came out, it kind of like took off and like people were, 
tweeting about it and everything. I was like, well, I don't understand. Why is this the one that speaks to people? And you just don't know, really. It's so true. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah. Gosh, Sarah, I feel like I have really learned a lot. And also, <laughs> I want to have another podcast sometimes where you just give me life advice. I'm like... No, I can't help it. I'm only going <laughs> <laughs> you do. And I love hearing your approach to it and the way that you've worked and gotten to where you are. Thank you so much for being here today. And thanks for all the writing you do. You add so much to the middle grade space. And it is a gift for people like me, librarians and teachers who are able to put those books in the hands of kids and know they're going to love it. Well, thank you for putting the, my books and everyone's books in the hands of kids. We all, as authors, appreciate it. We cannot do this without you. So we really appreciate you. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for being here today. And I'll be wishing you best wishes as best wishes <laughs> wings its way into the world. Amazing. Thank you. All right. Thanks. <laughs> thank you for joining me for this episode of Ask a Librarian. As always, it's my joy to share and learn with you. You can follow me on Instagram at Julie Writes Words, or you can go to my website, juliewritewords.com. There you'll find the show notes, including all the books mentioned in the episode. See you in the stacks next week. And until then, friends, never go anywhere without a book. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.